Hello there, and welcome to another episode of the Investigative Economics Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Wallen Jones. Today's episode is another episode of climate. Uh, in previous episodes, I sort of warned that I was, didn't want to talk about climate too much because it's such a, a massive topic, so many facets to it that it would potentially drown the site in climate. Um, and now we're three podcast episodes in, and I'm not sure how many articles. And the site is being drowned in climate, uh, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but I, I promise uh, we'll get back to more uh, subjects of uh, macroeconomics, microeconomics very soon. But uh, today we do have a number of articles to talk about, uh, one of them being very relevant to uh, this uh, Michael Mann court case that I'll get into in just a second. Uh, but great subjects all around, uh, so there's very good reason to sort of keep talking about climate. Uh, I'm not going to promise that this will be the end of it, but we'll try and mix things up a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, the first story we have about uh, Michael Mann, uh, the esteemed climatologist with Penn State, uh, I think originally with the University of Virginia, he went on to University of Pennsylvania, uh, that he uh, esteemed for his hockey stick chart. And this is the one that uh, got used by Al Gore in, in Inconvenient Truth, and it shows the sharp upswing like a hockey stick of temperatures across the, the you know, the 20th century into the 21st. Um, you know, this chart, I don't know how many t- times his paper has been cited, but he became international science superstar uh, and, uh, beca- you know, sort of pushed climate change and the greenhouse effect to, you know, the front pages of the newspapers everywhere. And it's really, you know, it's and the, leading to sort of the focus on climate change that we have today. Can't underestimate how influential it has been. And most recently, he's been he settled a court case uh, against Mark Stein with a, a writer with the National Review, and there's another writer in there. I'm forgetting his name. Apologies uh, for that. Um, but accusing them of defamation for for statements they said about. Uh, Michael Mann's development of the hockey stick chart. And I'm going to sort of, I may sort of describe some of these things a little inaccurately because it's sort of the, the devil is in the details in the court case, although really this is just sort of background information about, um, we'll get into uh, sort of this actual investigative economic story, which is about how he developed that uh, hockey stick chart. But just some background, uh, how this is all very relevant today to today is that Mark Stein wrote like a, a blog post saying that, you know, this, he doesn't believe that, uh, that Michael Mann's numbers are accurate. And Penn State, which did an investigation of Michael Mann uh, and his research, gave him, uh, you know, um, a, a stellar review saying that there's, there's no issues with uh, what he produced. And my, in, in the blog post, Mark, Mark Stein says that, well, you know, if Penn State was willing to give Jerry Sandusky uh, a clean review, then why wouldn't they do the same thing for Michael Mann? The wording is, you know, different. It's not, I'm not saying this uh, word for word, but that's sort of the general uh, premise of it. Michael Mann, uh, so over 12 years ago, brought this uh, defamation case against Stein, saying that, um, you know, you're comparing me to a child molester, uh, you know, Jerry, Jerry Sandusky being the sort of infamous child molester that Penn State sort of ignored for who knows how long. And, uh, you know, if they're willing to do that for Jerry Sandusky, why wouldn't they do that for uh, Michael Mann? And Michael Mann 
Brothel, you know, accused him of defamation, saying that not only uh, it, it affected his ability to get uh, grants uh, and also led to him getting just, you know, mean stares at the grocery store, which just seems absolutely ridiculous that uh, you could actually bring a defamation case of, uh, against that. I mean, please, you should, he's an adult, right? Um, and also, it also seems ridiculous because, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, Michael Mann's become just a, you know, climate superstar. He's, you know, flying all, all over the world. Uh, he went from Penn State to University of Pennsylvania, an Ivy League school. Uh, so it didn't seem like it was really hurt, hurting his career that much. I mean, whether you can say that he missed out on grants is, uh, that, that came up in the, in the trial. And, and a lot of this is coming from, uh, it was a great uh, podcast uh, hosted by uh, Ann McElhaney and, uh, I'm going to mispronounce his name, uh, Fellow McAleer, uh, two Irish uh, podcasters um, that uh, it's, it's really, they do uh, cover these day-by-day uh, trials a couple times, and it's, uh, they did a really good job of it, really fascinating, uh, getting into the, the grimy details of what happened here. So that's sort of all about the sort of defamation uh, surrounding it. And, and I should also back up about that a lot of this started with what's called the, the climate gate emails, that um, emails from, uh, uh, from Michael Mann and others at Penn State with, uh, in correspondence with researchers at the, was it the University of East Anglia in the UK, um, got hacked. Uh, they, they got hacked in the UK and some of the ones with Michael Mann got exposed. And uh, people used them to say, like, here's evidence that they were sort of faking the numbers. And, and there's some uh, description of like in one email of somebody saying like, oh, I used the trick to, uh, to, um, uh, to, to uh, I forgot what the word is that they used, to, to, to add the, the temperature numbers at the end of the graph. And in the Penn State investigation, they talk about that and they say like, well, uh, you know, what they did was not that scandalous. What he was describing was just they, they were attaching temperature numbers onto the end of a chart uh, from the, the rest of the chart was created by Michael Mann's model. So what's, what's important about Michael Mann's, why Michael Mann's chart of increasing temperature numbers is important is not that it shows uh, temperature numbers increasing. There's uh, meteorologists all around the world know that the temperature is increasing. That's like one of the most um, concrete things about climate change you can absolutely say is that like uh, the temperature numbers in the northern hemisphere have been going up uh, pretty consistently across the 20th century and into the 21st. What Michael Mann's research was saying was that, oh, I can take ice core uh, carbon dioxide data from ice cores in Peru and tree ring data, and I can use that to create a model to predict temperature, and not just to predict it, to predict it very accurately. And that'll be very important uh, as we come back to that, is that uh, to be able to predict it is saying that like not, you know, carbon dioxide is, is, is an input variable, uh, a, a strong predictor of temperature, saying that yes, the the greenhouse effect is very strong that it's i can take carbon dioxide and i can tell you what the temperature is in 10 years you know uh, approximately the it's the temperature aberration it's not you know it's going to be you know 98 degrees on december 1st it's going to be like oh 
how much above the average, the, the you know, 2010 average will it be? Uh, so that's why his, his chart is important. And so uh, in the ClimateGate emails, uh, that sort of showing, saying there's this discussion about adding these temperature numbers and, and the Penn State investigation, this part of it, I'd say it does seem accurate. It's just sort of saying like they use some uh, some actual temperature numbers onto the chart just to show, oh, we didn't have numbers going into 2010, 2020, but we just added some things. on. It's just sort of like a visual thing. And that doesn't seem that important. Uh, that doesn't seem like it's uh, evidence of scandal. But something that else that was sort of talked about at the trial is research from um, Stephen McIntyre. He's a Canadian, um, it sounds like he's a commodities guy in, in, interested in um, mining and oil and gas stuff. And he just, he's sort of an independent researcher and he has a blog that talks about his criticism of Michael Mann's uh, hockey stick chart and that he says that, well, I was not using the numbers that he has. I was not able to replicate this S turn that appears in the hockey stick chart. And that is what he's talking about is in mid-century, mid-20th century, temperatures had been going up, but they dip around the, the 60s into the 70s. And we've talked about this a lot on the Investigative Economics podcast, is and that is that um, in the mid and it, this is well known, sort of well established, that that temperatures had been going up until you know I think it's like 1958 or something like that that they they flatline and kind of go down just a little bit, and that's a lot. That's because of smog. It's a lot of it's related to leaded gasoline. Um, but it's aerosols, uh, and there's plenty of research on this. It doesn't get talked about a lot, which is interesting, um, but because this is a big part of, you know, the understanding of, of climate change, is that aerosols, leaded uh, from leaded gasoline and other car exhaust, otherwise known as smog, um, that were pretty bad around that time, uh, were blocking out sunlight from reaching the earth. And uh, it led to a little bit of global cooling. And there's plenty of research on this. Uh, it's, it, NASA talks about it. Uh, a lot of other sources talk about this. And it's a sort of the same idea as like you'll hear about for geoengineering, that you know, they want to put like particles in the atmosphere to block out the sun, uh, which sounds, it's, you know, sounds crazy, but, you know, that's, that's what they want to do. Um, and so that's what it was blocking out the sun because of its particulate matter. It's just sort of like, you know, it's, it's like a physical barrier to the sun getting to the surface of the earth. Um, and once catalytic converters came on the scene, blocking out all the particulate matter from uh, being you know, spewed out into the, uh, to the air, um, all that smog immediately went away and temperature started going up again talked about this a million times uh, we may have to mention it some more but it nobody else is talking about it so worth mentioning a couple times so that's what is the little s turn that uh mcintyre is talking about that he couldn't replicate that using the the tree ring data and the ice core data he, he wasn't able to make that s turn that appears in michael mann's hockey stick chart and the investigative economic story is that 
that S-turn should not appear in Michael Mann's hockey stick chart. If his data is coming from sources of carbon dioxide, like tree rings and ice core, Peruvian ice cores, then there's, there's nothing that says that there was a decline in carbon dioxide at that time. Cars were driving all over the place. Uh, coal was being used all over the place. Uh, the, the, the population of the world didn't decline. Um, so there's no evidence. That, and all our numbers showing uh, you know, carbon dioxide in, in Hawaii at the you know, Mauna Loa volcano didn't, weren't showing any dip in carbon dioxide. So why should his model, which is based on carbon dioxide, show a dip? How would he have gotten that information into his model unless he was using temperature as an input to his model, which would be fraudulent? That would sort of saying you're using your prediction to predict. Uh, you're saying that like, I can predict, you know, last Sunday's Super Bowl score based by using last Sunday's Super Bowl score. It's just, you're not predicting anything. You're just telling me what I already know. Um, so that shouldn't be there. And how he got it in there. And so, uh, you know, I, this is not the, the first time that sort of, you know, uh, even even outside of the climate gate stuff that people have questioned how Michael Mann got, came about those numbers. There's been a lot of sort of informal accusations. And Ken Cuccinelli, uh, previously, was he the attorney general of, of Virginia, uh, tried to subpoena uh, uh, Michael Mann and uh, his research at uh, Penn State. Well, sorry, not at Penn State, at the University of Virginia, um, saying that, well, this is research that is funded by the state of Virginia. We should have access to all of the, that information, which it sounds reasonable. But he was actually uh, that, that uh, subpoena got shut down by the courts, which even if you didn't care about uh, climate change and all that stuff, is a, a, a kind of a crazy standard that the University of Virginia does not have access to the research that it funds. Uh, I mean, maybe in, in, I'll you know side with uh, the scientists because you know essentially I'm, I'm doing research myself that you know you don't want uh, you know anybody to be able to sort of. Uh, sort of poke and prod at your research uh, at will. Um, I mean, but you should be able to sort of, this is very, you know, uh, this research is being used all over the globe to make massive decisions um, that this is maybe the most important thing ever that the University of Virginia should be able to, to present that information, all of his notes and data that uh, was used to arrive at the, the model. Uh, you know, I, you know, everybody's a little hesitant to be like, well, you don't misinterpret it. It's just my notes, and I maybe I made a mistake here or there. This is a this is a pretty extreme example that should be available to the public. If he's sort of really has nothing to to hide, uh, that should be something that could be uh, revealed. Um, if if we're all going to sort of stop using gasoline and uh, natural gas and uh, uh, stop eating meat and everything like that. So that's pretty crazy by itself. And um, I, I totally recommend the, the, pod, the, the Ann McElhenney podcast. Um, it is, let me see, try and pull up the name of the, the actual podcast. It's, uh, I think it's Climate Change on Trial. I think they've done a number of podcasts on, um, on ongoing trials, which I also recommend. Um, but interesting stuff. Um, but 
we'll we'll use that to uh, use the opportunity to transition into uh, the next story, uh, the next climate story that um, we got we published on the site, which is that, and again, this is um, investigative economics is. Uh, we'll talk about all of the stuff on investigative economics, I believe, is all sort of breaking informative new information for anybody interested in that subject. I think it's all eye-opening stuff. But that doesn't mean it's necessarily new to the world, that a lot of times we're sort of highlighting research and reports that uh, got buried somehow, academic papers that sort of fell into the dustbin of history. And, um, and here's one about an academic paper that was quite prominent but it sort of got sidelined by, well, Michael Mann's research that, uh, you know, he's publishing the hockey stick graph in 1999. I think he had some other research in 98 that was also sort of in, in, in line with that. Um, but going back to 1997, this is a paper uh, in this uh, environmental publication, Ambio. Uh, that's a, it's a journal, it's a prominent journal peer-reviewed on behalf of the Royal Swedish Academy of Science. So uh, sort of in, in the world of, you know, stodgy academia, this is, you know, prominent stuff. Uh, and they had a, a, a special edition commemorating the 100-year anniversary of the publication of Svante Arrhenius's landmark paper on the greenhouse effect. If you're not familiar with the name Svante Arrhenius, and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, um, he is essentially the godfather of, of the greenhouse effect. And this is, he's a, you know, Swedish researcher. Uh, he worked with somebody else, I'm uh, forgetting their name, uh, to publish papers in the 1890s. And this is, I don't know if this is the original, original source of anything related to Greenhouse, but this is sort of the biggest first step. Um, he's a chemist and he's, he's publishing this sort of uh, paper that's saying that, you know, carbon dioxide absorbs heat, uh, but it also... Um, uh, allows heat to go in, but it prevents it from leaving the atmosphere. So, and that's sort of like like a greenhouse, and that's where and uh, these there are these other greenhouse gases that do the same thing, and that could be leading to uh, global temperature increases. So that's where that all comes from. Uh, and there, this is you know 100 years on 1997. He published something in 1897. It's a like special edition. Hey, remember Svante? He isn't he great? Um, and while the paper sort of like, you know, talks about, you know, how influential this is and how, you know, you know, how, you know, how, how it changed things at the time. Um, but what it does say is that that's not, his beliefs are not the current scientific establishment right now. And that while his, his, his the ideas on the greenhouse effect are interesting, was the current uh, scientific consensus is the the Milankovitch theory. We've talked about the Milankovitch cycles before on this, and that is, it's uh, the Serbian scientist Milutin, uh, again, probably a name I'm mispronouncing, apologies. Uh, Milutin Milankovitch uh, developed this theory that it was perturbations in the you know the Earth's spin and uh, orbit around the sun, that cause variations in the angle of the sun and distance that uh, affect how much heat energy is absorbed by the Earth, um, and that that was the standard theory 
of how the climate is changing in recent years. The not not that the green the the greenhouse effect might be an it might be an effect that's causing some temperature change, but it's not. It's uh, small, much smaller compared to uh, changes in orbit and, and solar irradiation and things like that. And it's it's pretty explicit about this. This is like a whole paragraph in this paper that you know that it, that temperature changes primarily caused by variations in the Earth's orbit around the sun, otherwise known as the Milankovitch theory. And uh, that we don't know how much that uh, the temperature is changing from uh, CO2 concentrations, uh, but that's you know all very complicated uh, biofeedback loops with the oceans and terrestrial bio- biosphere, which is you know getting into the very complicated nature of climate and climate change, glacial interglacial temperature variations. And it's not believed to be co- primarily caused by CO2 concentrations. So very you know distinct and, uh, you know, uh, uh, addressing the the greenhouse effect being a minor thing compared to this other one, which is the, the scientific uh, consensus and establishment in 1997. As I mentioned before, Michael Mann sort of published, started publishing everything that he was doing, uh, sort of his original re- research working at University of Virginia. He goes to Penn State and then uh, University of Pennsylvania. Uh, and that takes over in 98. Gore, um, was it 2001, uh, does, is it uh, The Inconvenient Truth? Uh, I think that's when that comes out. Um, and that, that takes over the narrative. And, that, and then... Uh, leading to, you know, the IPCC. Well, I'll talk about the IPCC in just a little bit more in a second, but I'll give a little more uh, detail about this paper. Um, it's, it's Some of his research is coming from um, André Berger uh, and Marie-France Lutre, um, that uh, they are also, uh, Berger is a very prominent uh, climatologist um, writing papers on solar in- insulation, and how solar radiation affects the Earth, and how that interacts with CO2 levels and water vapor. Uh, Berger was honorary president of the European Geosciences Union, fellow at the American Geophysical Union, chairman of both the International Climate and Paleoclimate Commissions, and the president of the European Geophysical Society. A lot of bona fides there. Um, uh, Henning Roddy, who wrote the, uh, the Ambio paper, was Professor Emeritus of Chemical Meteorology at Stockholm University. Robert Charlson was another uh, writer of that Ambio paper, was a Professor Emeritus of Atmospheric Sciences, Chemistry, and Geophysics at the University of Washington. He helped define the CLAW hypothesis of uh, climate cycles. Not something that like you hear so much with uh, climate change, but it sort of ties into it a lot, a very... Um, inform you know very prominent theory uh, that um, uh, so this is these are all sorry to sort of just to go through their their CVs like that but just to sort of say that these are very well established scientists uh, doing prominent work this is not like sort of a niche publication in uh, some backwater journal that nobody's ever heard of this is prominent stuff and then the IPCC was sort of talking about all of this at the time. And that, uh, Roddy, uh, hopefully not mispronouncing his name too, uh, was a, uh, w- would publish things working with the IPC, IPCC um, 
who has since gone on to focus on anthropogenic uh, warming, which is you know human caused carbon dioxide and methane and all these other ones, the greenhouse effect essentially. Um, so things have changed since then, and that's uh, um, that you know science can, scientific consensuses can change, but I think it's it's very informative to know that this was a well-established theory, you know, 20, 24, 25 years ago um, that you don't hear about so much anymore. You know, it, science, uh, scientific consensuses can change one way and the other way, but this is good to know that if, if that Milankovitch theory was never disproved, really, there are, there are skeptics to the Milankovitch theory, which will lead into our next uh, story. And it will say that, well, yes, the, a lot of the investigative economic stories do seem to be lining up with the Milankovitch uh, uh, theory. And um, I mean, I didn't have that theory belief going into it. I mean, I think just the, the science is there for it. Um, but we'll let the, the story speak for themselves. Uh, I, you know, I'm not necessarily tied to anything, but it seems quite apparent based on a lot of uh, everything I've read so far. So uh, the next story uh, is uh, sort of getting into uh, Milankovitch uh, theory a little bit more. And that is that NASA has uh, website, uh, web pages dedicated to sort of like why the changing orbit of the sun does not explain uh, does not explain climate change. That you know, if you thought Milankovitch was a, a, a res respectable theory, you're wrong on that. Um, and here's why. And so they've got a couple pages on that, and they show one of the the, the most prominent uh, evidence that they have is that solar radiation from you know, radiation coming from the sun and being absorbed by the earth has gone down in the last 40 years. It had been going up, but it's now been going down for the last 40 years while temperatures have still been going up. And they, uh, they cite this uh, data from the Satire T2 data set, uh, which is a, coming from a G, uh, German research, uh, Max Planck Institute uh, data. That is glaring that NASA would, that's where they're getting their data from because... NASA is in the business of launching satellites to measure solar radiation. There is, I don't, we'll have to like dig up all the names of all of the satellites that NASA has sent into orbit since 1978, all to measure solar radiation. That um, they've been spending millions and millions and millions of dollars just throw to throw satellites up there to measure the sun's uh, output at the Earth's or uh, like near the Earth, only to use numbers from the Max Planck Institute, a, a German model data. Um, and what's in, most important about that German data is it, it's a little hard to tell if it's there uh, is if it's coming from telescope data on Earth. They they talk about uh, in some of their papers that's coming from uh, some of the telescopes in Arizona or if it's coming from satellites. But they're using magnetograms, uh, which is you know measurements of uh, the magnetic fields at the sun's surface to sort of understand how much the solar output is coming. But what that's doing is it's measuring solar radiation at the sun, not the Earth. 
And there's, I don't know how many millions of miles in between the two. Now, in general, solar radiation, um, you know, travels through space unimpeded because space is empty. It's a vacuum. Um, but there are certain things that factor into how it, the difference between what energy comes out of the sun and what gets absorbed by the earth, um, particularly the angle and the orbit of the earth, um, the, i.e. the Milankovitch theory, and which is which is funny because they're using this data to disprove the Milankovitch theory, but they don't seem to be sort of actually addressing orbit, angle, perturbations in the, the spin of the axis of the earth. Um, they seem to be sort of totally ignoring that uh, completely. Um, here, here's a list of just like all of the, um, the satellites that NASA has sent into orbit that not maybe not explicitly to measure solar radiation, but they have some instrument on there to measure solar radiation. They have the Nimbus 7 in 1978, the Earth Radiation Budget Satellite, ERBS, in 1984, the Active Cavity Radiometer, Irradiance Monitor, the ACRIM, uh, uh, that was launched in 1991. There's the Solar Radiation and Climate Experiment, Source uh, uh, Satellite, launched in 2003, uh, and then it was continued with the Total and Spectral Solar Irradiance Sensor, TSIS-1, uh, that was a part of the International Space Station. Some of these are not like launched by themselves. I, I don't know of the details of how the satellites are launched. And, um, you know, like sometimes they're sort of like the, with the space station, I imagine they're part of other major projects and maybe it's a secondary thing. And I, I don't know all of the details of that. There's, a, there's another TSIS-2 is, is being launched in May of 2025. Um, a lot of, a lot of uh, technology being sent into space to, to measure uh, solar radiation. Um, and that's, uh, and investigative economics, a couple, we already talked about source data being used. This, and that data already does show solar radiation increasing. Um, there's the Power Project, which is, um, it uses NASA satellite data and it models it meant for um, solar panels and other and agriculture to measure uh, solar, um, uh, solar energy at the surface of the earth. And that's showing uh, solar radiation increasing in the Northern hemisphere. Uh, We've already talked about that southern hemisphere is a, is, is a, a different beast. It's not showing an increase in Antarctica. It might be parts of south uh, the southern hemisphere that might be increasing, but uh, Antarctica incre uh, is not increasing. Um, so there's a little, it's, it gets a little complicated there. Um, but there's just all these tools that NASA had at its disposal, and they're they're not looking at it, and uh, and they're just going with numbers that say the opposite of what a lot of their own numbers are saying, um, which I don't know what that means. That I, in general, I tend to think of NASA as um, you know this is you know, like objective government institution, uh, and in general, it's you know. Uh, I, I, I tend to think that if the government's publishing some, something massive, you know, maybe certainly things get adjusted and, and tweaked and things like that. But um, I was kind of surprised by this, like that, it, not just that they were ignoring their own numbers and sort of randomly plucking some other numbers from some other place to uh, to justify something that seems wrong. 
Um, but uh, there are other they, they have some other explanations there about why Milinkovic is not uh, relevant. Um, that also were weak, very weak. They talk about the carbon uh, footprint in the air, which is uh, sort of getting into the stuff about like whether it's carbon-13 versus carbon-14, and that it couldn't be, even though it's both it's both carbon-13 that's in the atmosphere, which, um, you know, a lot of that's coming from degrading biomass, why that would be different from coal, uh, burning coal or burning uh, gasoline, even though those are all um, natural sources, but the change in the, it's not, when they say it's a fingerprint, I said footprint before, it's fingerprint. It's not really a fingerprint. It's not like, it's it's something more complicated than that. And the explanation uh, is pretty weak in my opinion, but maybe there might be something more to that that we'll, we'll write a story about. Um, uh, but it's generally it's weak and that their their main point of their refutation of the Milinkovitch theory is that uh, solar radiation is going down uh, is does not seem to be true and they're using magnetograms which is not appropriate um, for measuring solar radiation at the earth not what's leaving the sun um, solar radiation uh does vary at the sun surface, you know, sunspots, uh, solar waves, and things like that. Uh, but it's generally minuscule. It's uh, this is from the University of Colorado, their laboratory for atmospheric and space physics. It's uh, it only varies by uh, small fractions of one percent. And they, there's solar cycles uh, that go over a course of eleven years, uh, and that in, in some of the um, solar radiation measurements, you can see that it does this like uh, oscillation across 11 years that repeats every 11 years. Um, and that could have an effect on climate, uh, but it's not that significant. When you think about uh, the Milankovitch theory can uh, lead to variance in, in insulation, which is solar radiation, of 25%, a lot more than less than 1%. So it's a big deal. Um, so we'll, we'll change gears a little bit here and talk about um, uh, sea level rise. But to be honest, this is actually one of the more important ones. Uh, it, it, it could have uh, come up a lot sooner because this is usually the sort of penny penny skies falling uh, aspect of climate change is that, well, the, the seas are rising and they're going to uh, flood all of the coastal areas and we're all going to drown, and we'll have to move in, inland. Um, and that usually goes hand-in-hand hand with like sort of the, um, the, the rise in more catastrophic hurricanes, which we already talked about is not really true. It's just sort of a development of more satellites to uh, observe hurricanes uh, is where that's coming from. Um, we can see that you know more hurricanes are... Uh, or we can see how many hurricanes are happening. Not that more hurricanes are happening. We're just able to see ones that we couldn't. They were all out, out at sea uh, and not that didn't necessarily hit the, the Florida coastline. But sea level rise, this is, you know, Miami is worried that they're going to be all underwater and insurance is not sort of prepared for climate change. And, you know, what are we going to do about this? Um, and that we really need, that's why we need to stop driving cars, start, stop burning coal all immediately. 
to save Miami, to save New York, to save all these uh, coastal cities. But what, one thing that's pretty obvious to point out about this is that the change in sea level rise is really small. Uh, since uh, 1993, it's been about four inches. Um, not a ton. I think it's uh, over the last hundred years, it's maybe it's been about a foot. Um, it's uh, on average, it's uh, was it? Um, well, I don't, I don't have the number in front of me, but yeah. So that the melting Arctic ice. And the, the Arctic ice is melting. We've already talked about the Antarctic ice. Is, it's been melting in the last like five, 10 years, but not in the last 50 years, it has really not melted at all. Uh, nothing's really changed there. Uh, but Arctic ice is melting. Um, in, in, based on the NASA numbers, it's been about uh, 5,000 gigatons or 5 trillion metric tons of Arctic ice. And that is quite a bit. I don't know how uh, 1.6 degree of average temperature change in the atmosphere melts that much ice. Um, you know, that's uh, it's sort of getting into sort of like fluid dynamics to sort of uh, really address that question. But, um, you know, air temperature has to heat up quite a bit for it to melt ice on the ground because it has to have that not only, you know, there's, it's not like all of the heat in the air directly transfers into the ice. It's just all at the surface where the ice meets the air. And it usually has to, has to be a lot of heat to melt that ice. Like if, if it snows, it takes a while for all of that ice that's on the ground to be melted, even if the temperature swings up 20 degrees in a day. Um, it takes a long time because it's, you know, things don't happen that quickly. Heat transfer is not like that direct when it's, uh, it's not like a laser pointed at ice. And even if it was a laser, it'd be a laser that's only, you know, one and a half degree hotter than, um, than it usually is. Um, and we already talked about that, like this is also getting more into like why it seems like solar radiation is more the cause because solar radiation is like a laser. It is directly, you know, it's directly warming up the ocean because it goes straight to the ocean and um, like as radiation does. Um, but anyhow, so, you know, ice is melting, water is going up just a little bit. Um, and that this is the prime, prime evidence of climate change and the greenhouse effect, yada, yada, yada. Um, Miami's set to spend $4 billion on seawalls. Uh, even if you think like $4 billion is not that much, uh, the idea of like ringing Miami with seawalls is kind of a depressing concept. Uh, uh, in New York City's thinking about doing the same thing. 20-foot high seawalls, um, that would just be sad. And, and you can also see that Miami has not started doing that. Um, they don't want to destroy what is nice about Miami, which is their beaches. Um, it would be ridiculous. Uh, and they're, they don't seem to be wanting to do it themselves. So uh, I'm sure they could uh, scrape together $4 billion if they wanted to. Um, and not only is that like not that much uh, of a sea level rise, um, it's not that much in sort of the variance of how oceans vary from day to day that, uh, you know, waves, if you're talking about, um, you know, we're talking 3.3 millimeters per year, which is, and that's based on the NASA measurements uh, using um, satellite altimeters. 
that is there it's like sort of sort of like bouncing a laser from a satellite to the water and seeing how long it takes to come back that's sort of a very rough estimate of how it works um but and that but that's and they they believe they they can get within 0.6 millimeters of accuracy based on that now that that might be true that may, might be how accurate their instruments are and that they're they you know they do a lot to be very precise um but water varies in its height quite with waves with you know wind um that there's a lot of variability within there there the weather changes tidal changes um and that all of those things are not measured in millimeters they're at, at least measured in centimeters if not um uh decimeters um, so there's a lot of like, you know, that not only, you know, three mil, 3.3 milliliters, not that much. It's sort of like, well, you might get a wave that will be higher than that in, in the next year. So, you know, that's, that's not going to destroy the, the seafront, um, because they will, it's not that big compared to the, the maximum, uh, sea level that they might experience in a year. Um, and that, that'll come with like a hurricane or something like that. And the hurricanes are much more destructive than a, just a little uh, millimeter of, of sea level rise. And that, um, so, so, and not only that is that small, but there's other factors that are leading to potential changes in sea level rise that are not climate change that also might need to be dealt with at the same time. Um, and that includes, you know, I already mentioned storm surges and ocean circulations, that sort of like tidal changes, uh, but subsidence is a big one. And it's a big one for Miami and that Miami is sinking as a lot of coastal places are, you know, I don't know exactly what, uh, what's underneath Miami, you know, a lot of it, you know, once you go down far enough, it probably, there might be, it might still be some sand in there. Uh, but it's, it's the gradual sinking of land from the weight uh, and tectonic movements, uh, that there might be things in there, not necessarily sand or whatever, but when there's an, not necessarily an earthquake either, but you know, tech, uh, the plates can move without there being an earthquake. Um, there can be pockets of weaker material that are underneath these cities that can get adjusted. Um, and uh, that'll lead to the land sinking. And uh, was it, I think it's uh, was it the um, uh, University of Florida has an estimate that it's uh, that uh, Miami subsidence is around one to three millimeters a year, and that's uh, that's around kind of it's a little less than what is expected from climate change uh, and global sea rise, but so you would think that um, Miami Miami would be like they're getting subsidence, they're getting sea level rise, they're getting everything. They're, they're going to have like some of the highest uh, sea level rise measurements all over uh, from those two factors and other factors. Um, but it's not that consistent that uh, the, the sea level rise is not necessarily like everybody's getting three millimeters uh, a year in, in, in rise. It's, it depends on where you are. Um, in Greenland, they're actually seeing uh, sea, level, uh, sea levels dropping because it has to do with how the ice is melting and how the, um, the glaciers are changing. Um, uh, well, it's not a glacier necessarily, but, um, uh, but the ice sheets, how they're changing as they melt. 
that they are sort of rising above. And to be honest, I, I'll cut myself off on this one. I don't totally exactly know the, the physics of how that works, but the sea levels are, its sea level is relatively declining for them uh, in Greenland and, and some other places in the Arctic. Um, but and in Miami, uh, it depends on where you are in Miami that you're measuring it. Um, it shows that only the average uh, change is about uh, 1.5 millimeters a year. Um, which is really not that significant. It should be, you're thinking like, oh, it's subsiding. Uh, it should be six millimeters a year. No, it's like at least at this one, um, uh, the one bay in Miami, it's, it's smaller, much smaller than that. Um, really not that much to even blink an eye at, uh, really. And um, when you compare it like the, 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 their most recent numbers, like from the 90s to the 80s, there's like, it's almost insignificant. You can't even tell that there's a difference. Um, that, that could just be the sort of random variance of tidal changes like we mentioned before. And this is the Hallover Pier uh, location. Um, there's a bunch of, there's a number of different uh, sea level measurement locations around Miami. So there's, I think there's one in one of the keys, not not uh, not the Florida Keys, but a different key outside of Miami, uh, where it shows um, like around a three millimeter rise. But it's just sort of like, well, you know, this it's it, it's inconsistent. It's not every place is going to get this three millimeter rise. It not, some places are going it's going to be lower. And there's a number of places like that: uh, Charleston, South Carolina, Biscayne Bay, Florida, Cape Hatteras, Crescent City, California. Um, some of them seeing a, like a slight decline. Um, some of them saw a consistent decline throughout the nineties. Um, and that, yeah, it's not like, oh, the, the seas are going to drown everybody. And even where it is rising, it's not much. And it's sort of variable. <laughs> it's like, it's not, not, not more reasons sort of like, it's may not be that much to worry about, even if it was a significant amount which it doesn't seem like it is in any sort of way. Like in case somebody thought that like, oh, the, uh, what if the Arctic all melted at once? Like um, heat, the, uh, the temperature changes jumped like 30 degrees. Um, uh, that even then it's, well, that, that would be something different. That would be very unique and nobody's predicting that. But this is just sort of saying that like of all the things that not only is it small, but it's inconsistent and some places uh, are not seeing really much of anything. Um, uh, and, and, and there's a lot of other places like that. There's more places where the sea level is rising than declining. Uh, so th there is that, and the, the average is within three millimeters, but again, inconsistent and insignificant. And so not much to worry about. Um, but that's it. Yeah. Um, you know, there's probably more to climate change we may talk about, but we will try to mix it up uh, with some more macroeconomics. We've got uh, some stories about uh, testing and grades and grade inflation that's uh, just come down the pipeline. Um, but many other topics to come and uh, hope you enjoy. <laughs>